The Last Word with Matt Cooper. So for the week trending, we're joined by Ian Parr, Chief Executive of Spunout.ie and Brianna Parkins, columnist with the Irish Times. And we're going to start with Elon Musk. We had Walter Isaacson on the programme with us last week, the biographer of Elon Musk, and it's a terrifically interesting book. But it's such a soap opera life, which I believe, Brianna, you've become very engaged with as well. It's my Roman Empire. Well, one of them, one of them, one of my special interests. Um, so Grimes, Claire Boucher, when she's at home, was an electronic artist from the 2000s. Any millennial will, like, levitate to her songs when they come on in the club. It just brings us back to our youths. Um, very surprisingly got with Elon in 2018 and have had sort of this really interesting on-again, off-again relationship. Sorry, tempestuous is the tabloid <laughs> word for it, isn't it? I don't know if it is tempestuous. I don't know if they got together out of real love or was it an experiment? Were they always just planning to have children together? Was it a mutually agreed upon thing? I don't know. If you look at their social media, they're all about you know tech and creating the new generation and the new future. So who knows what goes on? Um, Azalea Banks, who's just the <laughs> angry like start the fight fighter of the internet, the goblin of the internet, hung out in their house and observed things. If you want to go back and read her tweets, that's really interesting. But yeah, essentially, so she's gotten with Elon. Now it's all, in 2001, September, they said that they had partially separated. I don't know what a partial separation is. Um, but then That's they, a bit like the conscious uncoupling of, uh, wasn't it, of uh, Gwyneth and Chris Martin of Goldplay? Yes, and then the biography re- like released the news that she'd actually had another child with him via surrogate around the same time he'd had uh, twins via surrogate to another woman, a woman that he worked with. And Who Grimes, was also a friend of Grimes. Also a friend of Grimes. And he hadn't told Grimes that yeah. he was going to be a father to this woman's children at the same time, yeah. in the same week. Skipped, and skipped was, a little yeah. bit of that detail. So you, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in that conversation there. So as you can see, the relationship is not in great state. So they actually have two lawsuits. So first it, it was thought that Grimes was suing Elon for custody of her children and she'd also put out a um, essentially like a restraining order but just so that neither parent could take the children out of California but Elon actually filed first. He's trying to get the, the case heard in Texas because there's different family law circumstances and different jurisdictions. So he's trying to switch it to there for reasons that aren't immediately clear. So it is getting very messy. Both have accused the other one of not letting them see the children. So it will be really interesting to see if this court case goes ahead unsealed. I think it has been sealed at the minute, but who knows? Ian, it is interesting as well that apparently Grimes has an issue with the way that Elon Musk puts his children into the public eye. Mm. And he particularly, the book is full of all various events that he brings one particular son, X, to, who's only, I think, about three years of age now at this stage. And she believes that there should be privacy for the children. I imagine it must be tough being a child of Elon Musk. I imagine so for many different reasons. I mean, it's it's always tough being a child of a narcissist, I imagine. But like, you know, I think Grimes's perception of it is that he's, you know, he sees X as his protege and he's essentially raising him as the, the kind of Elon... Two, which uh, you know, I imagine starts to be Elon two point zero, maybe <laughs> yeah, two point zero, <laughs> I mean, four point zero. I think this is a reaction to Elon's oldest daughter, Vivian. 
um, when she went to become legally recognised as a woman because um, she is trans, um, she petitioned that she didn't want to have any link to Elon, any link to her biological father. She doesn't have a relationship mm-hmm. with him. And pundits have sort of said this might be the reason why Elon is uh, so combative on X and so combative against what he sees as woke issues mm. around gender identity um, because it has affected his own family. Mm. Well, it's just wild. I mean, like, you can see from the way he's running X, like, you know, every feature change that is is mooted on the platform is because of, in some way... It's out of his own insecurities, you know, so he's taken, you know, the links out of, uh, you know, previews and stuff like that. So you can can barely kind of access news articles about him. He's uh, hidden quote tweets. So now if you want to see how somebody has quote reposted something on Twitter, it's really hard to access it now because he was basically getting, uh, you know, lambasted in the quote tweets anytime he would, uh, he would send something ridiculous out. So like, I, I think over the past year, we, and it's it's remarkable that it's only actually been a year since he took over Twitter. Um, you know, it's remarkable to see how much he's just made it into his own playground. But I said to Walter Isaacson when he was on the programme last week, and the interview is available as a podcast if people missed it and want to catch up on it. It must be exhausting being Elon Musk as much as it's exhausting for all of the women and children in his life and all of the actual employees. And you wonder that how is he actually going to continue managing Twitter, or which he calls now X, and Spacelink, and SpaceX, sorry, and Starlink, and Tesla, and all the various other major businesses, if he spreads himself so thinly. Yeah, I think he's he's only ever been kind of an ambassador, really, in many senses, right? You know, a lot of the actual achievements of the other companies have been made by lots of people that, fair enough, he has, you know, put into place, he's empowered, and, you know, he does have a certain level of, um, you'd want to call it maybe genius, I'm not sure, but I think he overrates himself uh, a lot. I do have empathy for his kind of own insecurities and how it must keep him up at night. He's, you know, he's he's not necessarily a clearly very happy person, particularly in the way he does his business. He He's horrible to people. He's horrible to employees. You know, um, Yoel Roth, who was his head of trust and safety and one of the few people who kind of stayed behind when he initially took over Twitter, like he doxed him and basically Yoel had to sell his house and, and move home and his family were really worried for their safety and things like that. So, you know, he... Yes, there's a certain amount of empathy for somebody who goes through life like that, but at the same time, it's the impact they're having on others around them too that I'd be more concerned about. And then what about his obsession with having children? It seems to be a tech thing, isn't it, from the tech bros? Like, it's why I didn't realise he had 10 children. Like, he had, uh, he had a father and 11. Died, so yeah. 10 living, at least 10 living. Like, it's, he's outdoing Boris Johnson. I was just about to make the reference. <laughs> there is, there's, there's been speculation, and I think um, it was the Atlantic or the New York Times did a deep dive into the correlation between um, what they're calling the tech bros, so people in tech are doing very well, and their tendency to have large families, and whether this is sort of an ego boosting narrative around there is enough people in the world where they're declining but there are declining birth rates and we need to repopulate that and we have the means and resources to do it. So when you're a billionaire 11 children, uh, that's fine you can carry that. And he actually was quoted to say um, he was on Twitter when all this news came out, or X as it's now called, about him fathering multiple children by different, sorry, multiple children by multiple mothers and he his partner at the time, Siobhan, the mother of the two twins um, his executive at Neuralink, she just said that he really wants smart people to have kids so he encouraged me to do this. So it seems like he is sort of does have a bit of a, a hint of narcissism in that in terms of having children. He thinks the world should have more of him. 
Okay, let's move on to other things. The world isn't going to have any more Airtel. Just remind people, Ian, for those who have not looked at Airtel in probably a decade or so, what it is or it was, because it's going to be switched off last week, why people used to rely on it before we had things like Twitter. Yeah, it's remarkable to think that it's actually still around. And I didn't realise that the reason Airtel, which essentially is the analogue version of the internet where you used to use your, your TV remote to, to slowly, using the arrows, move around the news headlines <laughs> uh, and put in 103 to get to the third news story and the text would flash up on your TV screen. Um, but I didn't realise that the reason why it's still around is actually it was included in the 2009 Broadcasting Act that RTE had to provide the service and it's only since the passing of the Online Safety and Media Regulation Act uh, last year that actually they were free to disband Airtel essentially. Although they did announce that it would be closed in November 2019 it's taken four years since the announcement which doesn't suggest an enormous amount of urgency in enforcing change at RTE. No it doesn't it's it's certainly uh, slow to move and, and what's remarkable as well about this is that you know a lot of the technology behind Airtel, uh, the some of the the kind of technology isn't is no longer actually being manufactured. So in order to actually keep the thing going, it wasn't going to be possible. But like I mean, everybody has really fond memories of it. I just realised that it's essentially the same age as me. I'll be thirty seven <laughs> in February, and I do remember kind of being at home and and using it as the only way to access news. You know, in the middle of the countryside, um, and it being the you know the most technologically advanced thing, which now obviously is just a far cry. Uh, it was like. I remember it coming out, we, we call it teletext in Australia, but it was sort of the peak of technology. And you could, my dad still loves it. He was heartbroken the day it shut down and was delighted to find out that Ireland still had it when he visited because um, he'd get the, the bedding results. That was what it was about. But it also had a dating app feature, like it sort of had a lonely hearts column. And I think it was, that was still going until very recently because someone had a screenshot of it on Twitter where you could put up like a, you know, 55 woman, good sense of humour, seeks, you know, whatever. So it was sort of an early form of Tinder. Okay. But there are smartphones that can do this now, you know? <laughs> um, there's a bit of romance to teletext. That kind of font is coming back. If you look at sort of Gen Z's Instagrams and any kind of graphic design they do, they're heavily leaning into that font as like a retro throwback. And that's really disturbing to me as someone who's not ready to let their childhood be seen as retro yet. Okay, we need to take a break. We will be back with more of the week trending with Brianna Parkins and Ian Parr after this short break. Brianna Parkins of the Irish Times and Ian Parr from Spunout.ie are with us for the week trending. Ian, has the Pope changed his position in relation to same-sex marriage? I mean, slightly and slowly. Um, you know, he, he a couple of years ago kind of <coughs> came out and said that it was the case that, you know, if, if LGBTQ plus people were coming to the church with open minds and hearts, then, you know, who am I to judge? Which in and of itself is a judgmental statement. Um, and who's got the open hearts and minds? Well, this is it. Um, look, I think uh, for, for many LGBTQ plus Catholics, it'll be a welcome slow move. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of crumbs for lots of people who've already left the table in many ways, right? So it's not necessarily a wholehearted, kind of full-throated, uh, you know, kind of welcome back to the church. Um, but at the same time, you know, it is it is to be welcomed.
welcomed. Um, I think from from my perspective, it's it's kind of catching up with a lot of the clergy and the congregations around not just Ireland but the world generally. I know that um, when me and my husband got married six years ago, a friend of mine who's a, a priest offered to do a blessing after uh, the wedding ceremony if we had wanted it, which I thought was really nice. And I know that there's priests doing that up and down the country. So. Are they allowed to do that? Could they run the risk of being disciplined if they were discovered to have done it? I mean, I think it depends probably on your bishop, I'm sure. Um, like, I, I also remember kind of only two years prior to that, I was at my brother's confirmation and the Bishop of Waterford and Lisbon took the opportunity to kind of urge everybody to vote no in the marriage equality referendum, <laughs> which I thought was just a little bit cruel because a confirmation is a family event where there's lots of people who are there who wouldn't necessarily go to, to Mass every week, you know. Um, but he didn't miss his opportunity to, to say it. So I guess, look, you're, you're probably between those two places. You've got the, the priests and the clergy who uh, and, and the congregations who are moving with the times, and you also have the people who, who are not. What do you make of this, Brianna? Well, in 2021, the Vatican did put out a statement being like, no same-sex blessings, none for you. Very clear about it. But this, it's not really a step back. It's kind of like a roundabout, like, yeah, what if you guys, maybe, who am I to judge? But it hasn't explicitly said, yes, go ahead, green light, same-sex marriages, we're kosher with that, it's all cool. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting and it sort of follows on. I don't know if, if Pope Francis is, you know, a cool pope, not a regular pope, um, he, but he did something quite revolutionary in 2016 and that was he gave ordinary priests the ability to forgive women who'd had abortions, essentially, where previous to that they had to go to the bishop. It was an, it was a thing that you were excommunicated from, technically, and you had to get a bishop to, like, lift that. Now, there was an outcry in Brazil when a nine-year-old girl was raped by her stepfather and had to go through an abortion. And it was, the people thought, you know, rightfully so, it was very wrong, she got excommunicated. So that was a step back to that. So it seems like we are slowly going on a path to acceptance, but it, it's very slow and it's very wishy-washy. Yeah, I think, like, the thing for me is that the church is an institution that can't necessarily be fussy about who it welcomes into its flock. Like, you, you know, most people who are kind of keeping up with their faith are doing it, doing it outside of the actual formal institution itself. And, like... Yes, Francis is a welcome change. Uh, and really, I guess a lot of the stuff that he's walking back are, are kind of things that would have been more doctrinally, you know, Benedict's kind of approach to keeping the church small, but keeping it full of the, the kind of devout uh, and, and the kind of ultra kind of faithful. Um, whereas Francis' approach to kind of open it up, um, probably just not radical enough, probably not moving fast enough. Uh, and ultimately, we can see the product of, of it not moving fast enough over the last 20 years because most people vote with their feet and don't bother, you know. Okay, let's move on. We have a number of stories about dogs. Now, we discussed bed bugs in Paris during the week, but now it turns out that dogs have been trained apparently to sniff out these bed bugs, Brianna. Yes, in it's quite a bit of a baffling move because the, the Minister for Transport has said there's zero evidence so far that the metro, the Paris metro, has been uh, sort of the, the site of a lot of anxiety for people. People are not sitting down in the seats and they're standing up because bed bugs, I don't know if you've seen them, but they're about the size of a credit card and, and thinness, little things that you can see to your eye. They like to hitch a ride on fabrics. So uh, any kind of high transit areas, lots of people are like, you know, seats at airports, buses, trains. On their way to Saint-Denis for the Rugby International tomorrow night. Yes. yes. There is there is warning for, for Irish fans, but also for the fashionistas coming back from Paris Fashion Week. We've seen maybe with a little bit of 
food and fraud. All these uh, really gorgeous, glamorous people now having to essentially delouse themselves uh, because they worried they might have picked up bed bugs. But the transport minister has said, no, there's zero evidence that they're on the metro, but we're just going to get these sniffer dogs anyway. It's it's a bit of a weird one. Paris is having a rough time with, um, I guess, vermin at the minute. There's, there was a, a rat crisis earlier this year because of the, the garbage collectors went on strike and the rat population flourished. So there's had to be plans about how the rats and humans can live together. Not a great look when you have a Olympics coming up in a year. And a Rugby World Cup going on now at present. Uh, another dog-related story, Lady Gaga. Yes, this is uh, a brilliant story for many different reasons. Um, Lady Gaga, if you remember, um, her dogs were kidnapped or dognapped um, a couple of years ago um, and a friend of hers had been out walking them and who'd been kind of dog-sitting for them while she was away, presumably uh, on tour or, or uh, touring that movie, um, that is lost out of my mind right now. But anyway, um, and basically what's happened here is that one of the folks who were involved in the dog napping scandal uh, essentially returned the dogs to Lady Gaga and they've essentially started to sue her because she's not paid them the $500,000 reward that she offered for their safe return. Um, Sorry, no, there is a difference between claiming money as a reward and claiming it as part of a blackmailing or kidnapping effort, isn't it? Yeah, Although, if you're returning the dog that you had stolen and claiming it as a reward, it's not really a reward, is it? It it really isn't, you know, so she was just, the the dogs were just resting on her sofa until, (laughs) you know, she was in a position to to go claim the reward and what's remarkable as well about it is that she's also suing for emotional damage to the tune of uh, like 1.5 million dollars as well um, So emotional re- damage because she didn't pick up the reward she'd anticipated getting for being a kidnapper Indeed. The well, dog napper, sorry. It, it came down, it was the bizarrest thing. And we should say, by the way, in conjunction to the emotional distress she's suing for, the person who the dogs were stolen off was shot. He had a, a part of his lung had to be removed. He was beaten, he was choked at the scene of the crime. But she's the one suing for emotional distress. She was the mother... Uh, she was dating the father of the suspect who went to jail for 21 years for attempted murder, by the way. She said that even though she knew the dogs were stolen, she still took care of them, but she was going to return them for their own for their own sake, not for collecting the money. She was actually being just a nice Altruism. person there. She didn't know there was a reward. And the judge turned around and said, look, I'm not having a bar of this. And he said in the judgment, no one can take advantage of his own wrong. What about Joe Biden's dogs? <laughs> I love a misbehaved dog story. And I particularly love that this came out because of a um, conservative group essentially going through memos and, and doing freedom of information requests. This is how partisan American politics is. They're trying to find dirt on the president's dog. Um, Commander, as he's the second German shepherd that, that has to have go away from the White House. He's been caught biting um, staff members and Secret Service officers. You'd be like, oh, the last dog, he went away after after two two bites. This one, apparently, it's his 11th So he went away because is that a euphemism for being put no, down? I think the first dog went off to live with friends of the Bidens and this after dog... After 11 bites? No, he was too... He only got two bites. This dog had 11 bites. Commander is his name. Um, He came as a puppy and, yeah, he's on his 11th bite and he's, he's in Naughty Dog. 
Naughty Dog Jail. I don't know where that is. Yeah, I mean, German Shepherds are gorgeous and they're they're gentle, but I imagine like in, in, a, in an environment like the White House where there's tons of people coming in and out, you can understand that they'd be getting overwhelmed. So I really do think that they need, uh, you know, a more relaxed kind of breed of dog that maybe just has, has less severe uh, biting capacity. I mean, this story is like, I've just done this for a reason. And so I, it's an excuse for me to bring up my favourite ever White House memo. And that was George Bush Sr. put out an all points, um, extremely important memo to staff of the White House and the subject was my dog, Ranger. And it said, basically, he asked office staff on the White House to take a formal pledge not to give Ranger any more biscuits because he was getting too fat. And, he, and he's like, Ranger will be wearing a Do Not Feed Me badge clipped to his official like press identification. So do not feed this dog. Why does everyone think Get Turned Into a Musical these days? Live Aid, the musical. What's that about? This one really kind of perplexed me because, I mean... You know, Live Aid, a really amazing kind of event, obviously. I you better explain it. There is possibly a generation of people who don't know what well, Live Aid is. Like, to be honest, I don't recall fully a, a huge amount, obviously, about um, Live Aid, but the original event was, was held at Wembley Stadium in 1985. It was not around. And it was obviously organised by uh, Bob Geldof and Midge Ur, and they were raising money for famine relief in Ethiopia. Um, but uh, they have now uh, given, well, at least Bob Geldof has given his imprimatur for a musical it's called Just For One Day um, after the David Bowie uh, song uh, and the, the line from that song and essentially you know Bob is at pains to say that there won't be anybody with a dodgy Freddie Mercury tash trying to impersonate um, any of the singers but rather apparently the storyline uh, is that there's you know to be fair, I imagine a lot of people went to that gig and, you know, made connections, made friends, had an amazing time. And so there's apparently a love story that they have uncovered that they're going to tell through uh, musical theatre. Um, and But apparently there is somebody playing Bob Geldof and he has attended the workshops, he's gone to the rehearsals and apparently he's given it his blessing. I mean... This is a case against fund. Like this is a case for defunding the arts. The arts are getting too much funding if this is going ahead. But uh, maybe somebody should tell them about Toy Show the musical. That these <laughs> things don't necessarily always work. Well, what's remarkable is that, like, essentially, I think this one will. I think people will go to this. It's got a. I think it's like a two month run next year um, in the West End, and and the the show is going to give ten percent of every ticket sale to the Band Aid Charitable Trust. Um, and I, look, I imagine for a lot of people you know, who went to that show 39 years, 40 years ago. And it will be, I guess, the, the you know, close to the 40th anniversary. People will might want to go to, to you know, jog memories, bit of nostalgia. Um, and I'm sure the, mus- the music, uh, they, they can't not play some of the music from Live Aid, right? So you... you I think they are playing some of the music. It's just that they won't have pretend singers singing it yeah. as impersonators it's not going to be an will, impersonation show yeah We Will Rock You has been huge like it's been really successful and really popular so I'm assuming they're going after some of that money now too alright we have to leave it there we're finished with the week trending Brianna Parkins from the Irish Times and Ian Power of spunout.ie thank you both very much for being with us The Last Word with Matt Cooper weekdays from 4.30 Today.